Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Paul Gladden to our show. Mr. Gladden is the Executive Director for Accelerate Montana, located at the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana. Hi, Paul. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about Accelerate Montana? Yeah, so Accelerate Montana is uh, the University of Montana's Economic and Workforce Development Program. So um, really sort of encompasses the university's mission for economic impact in the state. Uh, we have 10 or 11 different programs under that umbrella, uh, some of which are sort of, uh, that many of them have different sort of funding sources and part of different programs. So we kind of walk you through uh, the bulk of them. Uh, we have several entrepreneurial programs, the Blackstone Launchpad, it's a student entrepreneurship program, Women's Entrepreneurship and Leadership Lab that includes the um, Women's Business Center, which is an SBA funded program. We have the Accelerate Montana Rural Innovation Initiative that's funded by the EDA, uh, focused on rural and indigenous innovation entrepreneurship across the state. We also have the Missoula Small Business Development Center uh, is based here at UM. Uh, the Missoula Region PTAC program, folks may be familiar with that, it's a Procurement Technical Assistance Center. It's another federal program, helps businesses sell to the government. Uh, the Montana World Trade Center is part of our, it's hosted at UM, it's part of the Accelerate programs. And then we have a couple of two or three programs all in the workforce development area. We started the Montana Code School back in 2015. Uh, we now have an employer partnerships team. Uh, it's focused on working with employers around their specific kind of upskilling and kind of skills, kind of pipeline needs. Um, and then also uh, we have a rapid training program, which is uh, leveraging some ARPA funds that we were awarded through the state's ARPA Workforce Commission to deliver rapid training. Oh, wow. Well, I want to talk about rapid training in a minute, but first of all, why don't you tell me about your day-to-day -day responsibilities as the executive director? Uh, what a great question. Um, I think it's, and I've had some more in-depth responsibilities. I was running the Blackstone Launchpad for a number of years until recently we hired a manager for that program. I'm very much leading the rapid training program, which I'm happy to talk about later. But in many ways, it's, I guess my job is one, obviously, to make sure that um, our programs have the support they need and our kind of teams in those programs have what they need to be successful. But then also, how do we sort of foster collaboration across our programs, um, make referrals? So how to collectively we sort of um, provide the connective tissue amongst those programs so that the individuals and or the entrepreneurs or the businesses that we're serving through any of those programs is also aware of other capabilities that we may have to help them, whether that's training people, whether it's accessing kind of funding um, or just getting access to coaching. So that as much as anything is, I think, kind of my job is to make sure that we leverage our programs as effectively as we can to serve kind of the population across the state that we, we, we work with. Well, you know, over the past year, I've been reading a lot about public perception of the value of college, and it seems like it's kind of gone down slightly uh, mm. since the pandemic. So do you think that perception is real? And if so, 
how does Accelerate Montana improve the view of the value of college? Yeah, I think I'd maybe answer the question a little kind of differently. I would definitely agree perception. Maybe the kind of a college degree is not worth what it used to be. I think that's definitely debatable. I don't think the data necessarily still, the data still supports the fact that over the kind of lifespan, kind of someone will benefit economically from a degree. I think what we've recognized, though, through our workforce development programs is that degree programs are not necessarily appropriate for everyone or appropriate for people at certain times in their careers. Um, so that's really what we're trying to address on the workforce development side in particular is addressing the needs of those individuals who, for a host of reasons, some of which may be perception, um, that a degree is not kind of in their path right now, or for many people that we're serving as well, they already have a degree. So they're looking for additional kind of education and training to equip them, obviously given our focus on workforce development from a career progression perspective. So that's really how we're addressing this. And I think sometimes sort of discussion around higher ed sort of is is, is almost sort of a it's, a, it's a binary, it's either good or it's bad. And it's like, well, it's it's good and it's really good for a lot of people, but it's not necessarily the right answer for everyone. So how do we have those alternatives, those other options as well? Yeah, you know, I, um, well, first of all, I think college is good. I mean, I had 21 years in the university system, right. but but I hear that and I listen to sometimes politicians and all kind of kick in because what they're doing is they're looking for short-term solutions. You know, they're, mm. you know, we need, we need workforce Sure. So instead of having a two-year thing or four-year thing, we'll figure out a quick way to get some people in there. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, what happens is those individuals who go through that end up with getting all the badges and certificates, but then their employer says you need a degree to move up, and now they can't move up. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's great that you guys are getting some people on a launching pad to mm -hmm. start the career. Uh, what I'm hoping for is... Uh, advising in universities will change over the next couple of years and help people decide all those next steps, just not let, let's get you to work tomorrow. So, yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in your kind of um, sort of comments there. Um, I mean, one is, I mean, some employers are starting to change their parameters, right? They're saying that not necessarily looking for a degree, which again, you could view that as a good or a, good or a bad thing. But I think with those short-term programs and the rapid training programs, we're definitely focused on trying to understand how can we at least position those to still provide pathways to degrees. Um, I think that's very true of some of the, uh, the rapid training programs we're doing in some of the traditional kind of trades areas. Um, but as you're probably sort of, as you will be aware, I mean, enrolling someone academically is not a, it's not as quick and easy, right. As signing up for a kind of quick course on a or a Coursera. So that creates barriers, particularly for those individuals who are coming from backgrounds, sort of low income, they've, they're working jobs or trying to figure out how to get an education. They don't understand how to navigate the process. Um, and often they may just be put off by those processes or sort of fall out of that process before they even get to the education and training they were trying to access. So if we can provide opportunities for them to get that education and training much more easily without some of those initial academic barriers, it potentially gets them into an initial job that, again, starts to improve their sort of economic and social circumstances. We can then still engage them and say, hey, you've taken this training. By the way, that probably could be eligible for prior learning assessment. So we have right. that mechanism in place. And now we can start to put you on a, a path to a degree. 
maybe initially a two-year degree and then onwards to a four-year degree. And they're more likely to be sort of have the motivation and belief to persist with potentially some of those academic steps in terms of accessing financial aid and things like that um, than they might have been previously because now they see the impact that the educational training they've already received is having for them and would be hungry for more. Yeah, you know, you mentioned prior learning assessment. I think that's really the key because I, I, when I was a dean here in Montana, I think the prior learning assessment was like you can only move like 25% of uh, prior learning assessment into a degree. And now I, I don't know if that's changed or not. I think um, they are changed. They may have changed those parameters. Um, I'm not, not an expert on the specifics of that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they are trying to loosen those up a little bit. Um, and I was literally reading something this morning. And uh, if you uh, know the Education Design Lab, um, it's going to be a really interesting group doing some innovative things. Um, and they've kicked off a program called X Credit. Um, which where the X is essentially shorthand for experience. And they've been, they run a sort of a pilot program over the last year, particularly focused on veterans. So how do you get recognition for the skills that veterans obviously gain through their military careers? Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's a good, that's a good point. So let's talk about rapid training program. Yeah. Let me maybe just set out initially just a little bit of sort of what's the, what's the scope, what's the sort of the objective and, the, and, and uh, of the funding that we've received, which is say coming through state funds through the ARPA Workforce Commission. That our objective there is to get people through rapid training, which we're defining as training that's typically less than six months in duration. Uh, we've been asked by the state to focus on four priority industries, um, construction, manufacturing, healthcare, and tech. Hmm. And the objective should be to get people not necessarily directly into, but on a track to a good paying job, which the governor's defined as sort of $50,000 a year. So that could be an entry level position, but which is not necessarily paying $50,000 straight away, but has a good realistic path to $50,000 a year at least. Or it could be upskilling for existing employees where that might likely lead to sort of a, a promotion or a kind of pay rise because of those additional skills. So those are the parameters that we're focused on. We're also asked to, or we, we propose to work very closely with the two-year college system and the tribal colleges um, around the state to, to, to develop this rapid training program. And there were a couple of programs that um, we and others have been working on that were sort of reference points that I think sort of persuaded the state that this that we were a good organization to help facilitate this process. And I would describe us as facilitators. We are delivering some of the programs, mostly the programs will be delivered through the existing kind of training and education system. Um, but there were two programs that we worked on over the last, uh, we and others worked on over the last couple of years. One is uh, what's referred to as the AIM Higher program. And that's a program that we worked with um, ATG Cognizant. So Cognizant, Many people know as global kind of 500 corporation, large technology consulting implementation firm. They acquired a company called ATG that had a significant presence in Missoula um, that essentially is, um, was uh, developing and implementing Salesforce solutions for organizations around the world. So we worked with ATG to help them build and deliver a 12-week boot camp program that takes people from a whole range of backgrounds many without any particular technical technology skills and trains them to be Salesforce implementation consultants for ATG. The program is structured. It's a a bespoke program for them. 
Um, but there's a lot of kind of takeaways from that that we're applying into the rest of the rapid training. For the 12 weeks, there are eight weeks of learning Salesforce, which is largely facilitated by um, Cognizant. We're using Salesforce's own kind of trailheads, kind of learning platform and system. And then there are four weeks of what we call business consulting essentials, which is delivered by um, two college of business faculty plus myself that is helping bring some of the additional sort of business and consultative and project management skills that you need in addition to the technical sales force skills. So we put that program together. Um, Cognizant recruited people to go into that program, pays them as temporary employees while they go through the program, guarantees them a job interview at the end. Um, and we've now with it, with Cognizant run seven cohorts since the beginning of 2019 um, which has had over 200 people go through it. Wow. And they've recruited every single one that's come through that program. Um, so that, that was one example. The other example is a program called Jobsite Ready um, that Missoula College, Gallatin College, and others worked on to create an entry-level construction training program. Uh, they had some gear funding, I believe, that helped with some of the curriculum development. They worked with industry to figure out what are the essential skills someone needs to essentially start a job on a construction site. That training is about um, it's 45 hours in total. It's 30 hours of online self-paced learning through some of the kind of basics of kind of construction safety and kind of measuring and kind of um, kind of reading blueprints and those sorts of things. And then there's 15 hours of in-person hands-on training. So that was another program that, again, the state looked at and said, oh, these are innovative programs that are getting people quickly from sort of zero to job ready, job site ready in the construction sense or Salesforce consultant ready. Um, can you do that kind of thing for other industries uh, and for other kind of roles within those industries? So that's what we've been looking to do and working with the two-year college system, working with industry associations, working with employers, to understand what are those specific workforce needs, what are the skills gaps, and what training and education do we already have within the system that may need to be adapted, and we can chat a little bit about that, to make it sort of rapid and kind of quickly accessible, uh, and or where else might we need to develop some additional training, source some training from other kind of third-party organizations, but essentially get people into those training programs. And then the other piece that we've used our funding to do is build what we call an outreach and re recruitment coordinator team. So they're uh, distributed around the state and really working very closely with the colleges, with chambers, with high schools, with employers, so that we can sort of manage this end-to-end -end navigation of both understanding what are the skills needs, what are the training programs we need to have in place, then how do we recruit people into those programs to get the training and make sure that we're connecting with employers on the back end to obviously get that job outcome. That's kind of the overarching objective of the, the program. When did uh, the rapid training program start in Montana? It kicked off the beginning of this year. So we have essentially two years of funding for the uh, 2022 and 2023. That That is such a great idea because to, to kind of maybe mirror a little bit what you just said is if I was a student in Bozeman, Mm -hmm. I could actually go online, learn a little bit about construction and then go to Gallatin College. Absolutely. I don't have to go anyplace. I can locally get my hands on training. Yep. And we're looking to sort of expand that model. The job site ready has given us some really sort of good insights into, I mean, frankly, to some extent, how to be efficient in delivering, but also at the same, be efficient, but also in many ways, expand access to training around the state. 
So a lot of education and training, we've clearly learned a lot through COVID. Not all education and training needs to happen in a physical classroom, right? right? Um, there is some training, particularly a number of these kind of trades and sectors. You need hands-on training in construction and healthcare and manufacturing, but not all of it. So the more of that we can pull into an online environment, deliver, give students or trainees the options to take that sort of on their own schedule and their own time at their own pace, um, while still potentially having some live class interaction through Zoom or other techniques where they're still able to get some of their questions answered, work with other students and so forth through that. And then we can bring them together for that kind of hands-on piece of various locations around the state. So when we do that, we're sort of improving the economics of delivery rather than having when we've got such a sort of rural distributed population, the economics are challenging for a lot of our colleges to run the breadth of programs they might want to offer. How can we potentially share some of that curriculum, share some of the faculty, share some of the resources? And there's good funding as well through the uh, Montana Job Service. And our team has partnered up very closely with uh, the job service that can often pay both for the training for individuals. It's always obviously subject to various sort of income and employment status criteria, but there is funding that can either pay for the training either to the individual or to the employer, as well as funding that may be available to pay for the travel, the childcare, so that folks can have their kids taken care of while they're participating in training. So there's a number of mechanisms we're trying to put in place to really both expand the access uh, to training and therefore enable more people to be able to kind of get into these kind of skilled kind of um, workforce areas. I'm going to probably call you in two years to find out how this goes because I, I'm, you know, having the collaboration between the the colleges and industry. I just, I love that idea. I, you know, I think most administrators are wanted that forever, but there's always so many barriers. You just, it's just too much work. <laughs> so thank you yeah. so much for doing the work and getting the funding for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of the work I've done in the sort of the economic development, working with entrepreneurs Um we have similar issues for entrepreneurs. They're a long way from the expertise that you, if you're in Silicon Valley, right, you're tripping over entrepreneurs in every coffee shop. But if you're in your, if you're in Glendive, you're not surrounded by lots of other entrepreneurs that you can go ask questions or kind of investors that are looking to put money into you. So we've learned a lot through that program, those entrepreneurial programs about what are the access challenges? How do we reduce the friction in the process? How do you help people navigate essentially a system, whether it's the education and training system, whether it's the entrepreneurial ecosystem, how do you navigate that stuff when you don't know what it is? Right. And that's what we're trying to help facilitate in many ways here. Yeah. Well, what, what's the biggest challenges ahead of you for Accelerate Montana in the state? Um, I think um, challenges could have a negative con- connotation. I view some of them as sort of opportunity okay. challenges. Um, okay. I mean, I, I think a lot of that is, and we, we've got good dialogue and good collaboration working with it, several of the colleges about how do we sort of transition some of these programs into more of that shared model? How do we work with them? Are we using our funding to work with them potentially to move some of their curriculum kind of online? And then also to some extent, how do we, how can we untether some of this training from the traditional academic calendar? Because the, when we're doing training rapidly, we've got two years to do this. We can't wait kind of an academic cycle or two academic cycles to launch that training program. So what are our options 
to sort of free up faculty and instructors to be able to deliver these programs. So our experience with the AIM Hire program that I mentioned we started the coding bootcamp, um, the Montana Code School, those programs are much more market responsive. We're starting to do that with the job site ready. It's sort of almost let's create a wait list of people that said, hey, I'd love to take this training program. We're like, great. We'll let you know as soon as we sort of have enough people to run one. Right. right? So it's how do we create some of that sort of agility and flexibility in the system? So it's a challenge, but it's also it's sort of a good challenge to to kind of deal with. And we can if we can figure out the answers to some of that, then we we expand sort of the access um, to these training opportunities. So that's probably one of the challenges. The other one, um, in many ways, just getting the word out. <laughs> so I appreciate this opportunity and it's something we'll be working, continuing to work on uh, as we scale up more of these programs and have more of them in place with the colleges around the state. How do we get the word out that these, both these training opportunities are there, uh, that the, there are employers desperate for skilled uh, workers um, and that these training is, um, it's often, we're trying to make it more accessible, it's flexible, it's fast and often affordable to the point of a potentially being free in some instances, right. In terms of potentially getting funding from kind of the job service. So that's, that's our probably number one challenge is how do we make sure people are aware of it and how do we help navigate them into that? So we can get as many people through, through this training in the next couple of years as possible. Yeah. I, Paul, I would think with what you're doing, the word's going to get out. <laughs> I was going to, I mean, like I said, the more I just, for the few minutes I've heard about it, I'm really excited about it right now. I kind of want to tell some people in Billings yeah, yeah. about it because uh, sure. they're always looking for that. My one question is, so let's say I was in Billings and I was a student and do I go to the col the local to your college to set do this? And then do I pay the, does the, does the college get the the headcount on these students, how does that work from the, the college side of this? Uh, it varies. And I think there's a couple of components to that. So it sort of partly depends on how we're supporting the program. So something like Job Site Ready, because that was sort of created between a couple of colleges, it was sort of almost intentionally designed as a shared program. In those instances, we're at least facilitating part of that through Accelerate. So the example you gave a few minutes ago is like, oh, I'm in Bozeman, I could going to take the course online and then I can go to Gallatin College. You can go to the Accelerate Montana website. We'll take you to a page and to our, we've been putting some of these courses into the Canvas LMS on their non-credit side. You can go to the website and you'll see that Gallatin College is promoting a job site ready program. You can sign up for that. You'll essentially view yourself as signing up to become a Gallatin College student or trainee okay. uh, to get that program. Uh, but we'll be, we're managing, we're collecting kind of the, the training fee from that trainee, but then we'll pass those funds through after taking sort of a program fee kind of locally. So we're mostly trying to make sure that the colleges can maintain their, their sort of local, their community, their regional kind of presence and brand and visibility, but facilitate their ability to have some of these programs kind of available to them. The headcount thing, that's a, I mean, I think that's a um, that's a higher education system and government funding thing, right? In terms of right. sort of headcount for academic FTE versus how do we count some of these? Think about these folks that are going through um, these kind of training programs, where I mean, clearly we're doing this from a perspective of the state agrees this is of, of benefit. So I think there's a broader question that's 
Bob might hate Ray to answer, but (laughs) (laughs) seems like an important one. Okay. Um, So over the next couple of years, is there any other uh, programs that's not on the docket today that you might be looking at? Hmm. Good. Well, I, I think... I think it's more about how do we sort of continue to sort of grow and evolve this. Okay. Um, we have to be sort of inherently scrappy. We're moving fast, trying to get things in place. But I think to the point you made earlier about sort of stackable and kind of pathways, I think that's the shared vision that a lot of people, a lot of us have. How do we create those pathways? And not just from a from an academic perspective, how do we create a pathway to a two-year degree or a four-year degree, but also how do we help someone just navigate the pathway of when job site ready, we've said it's 45 hours. It's awesome. Gets you started on a construction site, but it's not all the skills and training you're ever going to need. Right. So how do we, how do we continue to support, provide those journeys, whether that's through apprenticeship programs or other mechanisms. So how do we, I, I think in a broader sense than just the rapid training program, what the evidence is showing us through a number of these programs is we're much we are in this world of lifelong learning right the fact we've got a number of people particularly those who've gone through the code school going through the aim high program with atg these people already have degrees but they've decided to seek out new skills to take their careers in new directions that's not necessarily in some instances that is sort of driven by they're not happy with what they're doing or they're not achieving the income levels they wanted but we've definitely had folks who've gone through the code scores. It's like I was in financial services for a few years and I just wanted to change. Yeah. Right. So they're looking for a different career track. So, um, so I think we just need to be broadening our mindset around who do we, who do we describe as students or learners or trainees and how do we, how do we serve them at different points in their educational and training and their career and kind of life, life journey. So Here's my last question. If if you had a magic wand that could produce extra budget money right now for you with no strings attached, how would you spend it? Um, wow, what a great question. Um, I, I think in some ways where we get the biggest bang for the buck is sort of investing in, in curriculum that is relevant and accessible. So, and it's back to sort of the comments I made earlier around um, not all education and training needs to be in the classroom. How could the more of that curriculum that is tailored and adapted and relevant to the employers and the workforce that we need in Montana, um, the more accessible we make that. There are mechanisms in place. If you think about, I mean, essentially at the end of the day, the question is who pays, right? Who pays for kind of someone to go through training well one if we make that investment in the training sort of in the in the course materials that's an investment that should has some kind of durability to it. it'll need some refreshing and some updating and new things will be added but that's a good investment it reduces then the actual cost of delivering the training because a lot of that sort of self-paced self-guide you've got faculty who are coming in to deliver that hands-on piece, they're acting more as sort of facilitators and kind of coaches, it's more the flipped classroom model. So our economics of delivery goes down. And then we've got this thing that's sort of really four sources of funding for education and training, the individual, employers, government, and philanthropy. 
and I, I can't envisage that that's going to change anytime soon in terms of that that kind of combination. Um, but we can make we can make it more affordable for the individual. We can make it seem like a more compelling outcome for an employer for them to invest in that training if the training is relevant to them, and it should look like a good deal for government and philanthropists if we've we've got this sort of infrastructure of courses that we can get people through at relative scale and relatively relative efficiency and then really focusing the expertise of faculty and instructors to those real kind of critical kind of where, where's the trainee stuck right where's the specific hands-on things that they need that kind of real direction coaching on so big well, what, what great points well paul thanks so much for being on our show i really enjoyed our conversation me too. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.